Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who does know who Kevin McAllister is. He is the captain. And keep the change, you filthy animal. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are drinking Brick Kiln Bourbon Barrel Aged by the fabulous folks at Jackie O's Brewery. Garage grade, we need a trumpet sound for when we do this because we don't do it very often, but here you go. Five out of five bottle caps. This is a delicious barley wine aged in the one and only Woodford Reserve Barrels. One of the best bourbons out there. But please keep in mind, Brick Kiln has an ABV of 11.8%. So you drink this one at home or in your garage and stay off the roads. All right. This week's beer was brought to us by, first up, a huge thank you and a big shout out to Paula M. And I think Paula is in Maryland, but I'm not sure. So we will give her residency in the beautiful town of Parts Unknown. And a big we like your jib to Anna in Poland. Next up, we have John from Vermont. John says Vermont is the craft beer capital. Also in Vermont, we have Gale. And a big shout out to Charlotte in Berlin, Germany. Next up, we have Elise in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And last but not least, we have Mandy in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, Mandy, you came and you gave with that taking. And Captain, I'm going to give that trumpet sound a big garage. One and a half bottle caps out of five. <laughs> All right, everybody, check us out at truecrimegarage.com. Join in the conversation on our blog. We talk about each of the cases there. Check out the store page. Check out the recommended page. And if you want full archives, if you want the old great episodes of True Crime Garage, Mm -hmm. check us out on the Stitcher app and check out our new show, our awesome show, 
only available on Stitcher Premium, Off the Record. And that is enough of the business. That's right, everybody. Gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Logan, just about 50 miles away from Columbus, the heart of Ohio. Back in 1982, Logan's population was just a touch over 6,500, salt-of-the-earth people, carving out an existence in southeastern Ohio. Logan is arguably one of the most beautiful areas in Ohio. Ash Cave, Cedar Falls, and of course, the Hocking Hills State Park. These are gorgeous sceneries and landscapes. But as we all know, evil can lurk anywhere, even in the most beautiful of living spaces. Evil can be waiting for you in the caves or stalking you on the hills. And often, evil is even closer to home than any of us would dare to believe. There was much excitement for the people of Logan back in the fall of 82, On October 2nd, Logan hosted their annual Fall Festival of Bands, a gathering of some of Ohio's best high school marching bands. And later that month, Trick or Treat, Beggar's Night, and Halloween. Greg Schultz described the time saying, When I grew up, we had the run of the town because it was a small town. We'd take off in the morning, be gone all day, and come back home at night. When the streetlights came on, you went home. Everyone kept an eye on us. The youth of 1982 Logan, Ohio shared the same sentiment. They had never heard of horrific murders before, other than from the fictional slasher films of their day. But that all changed in early October, when the deranged killers from the movies seemingly jumped off of the movie theater screens and into the hills of Logan causing the public to panic and wonder. Were the murders of a smart, well-liked young couple an isolated incident? Or was it a sign of what was to come? This week, we discuss the murders that terrified a community and left more victims than we will ever know. Margaret Annette Cooper. Later in life, she would go by the beautiful name of Annette. Annette was born June 11, 1964 in Zena, Ohio. Annette was a pretty blonde. Many referred to her as a local beauty. Others said she had a bit of a troubled past. After high school, she was off to Hawking College. An 18-year-old student full of life and dreams. And as of October 1982, Annette was in a year-long relationship with 19-year-old Todd Schultz. Todd from Nelsonville, Ohio. He was born just less than a year before Annette, and their relationship was pretty serious. What started off as a courtship based off of mostly physical attraction had blossomed into a possible wedding engagement. Todd's mother said the two had not made it official, but they were certainly talking about it. Now, Todd was a good kid, with a great sense of humor, and everybody said that he loved children. 
After high school, he went to vocational school and studied graphic design. It was well known that Todd was quite the photographer. He hoped to find a career where he could get into something where he could take pictures and write articles. Todd was 19 years old and a volunteer firefighter. They're a typical teenage couple from a typical small town. Now, leading up to October 1982, Annette was living with Todd and his family at Todd's parents' house. She shared a room with Todd's sister, Kendra. Annette came from what some, if not most locals, referred to as a strange family. Annette's family was, for the most part, considered to be outsiders to the people and the community of Logan. And anyone from Logan will tell you that still to this very day that most people born and raised in Logan don't much care for transplants or outsiders. Mm-hmm. Annette Schultz, her stepfather, Dale Johnson, was very much considered to be an outsider by the locals of Logan. Several years before the fall of 82, Dale Johnson and his wife, Sarah, left their previous marriages And together, they moved from Xena, Ohio, to be together and raise Sarah's two daughters, Michelle and Annette. Question for you. So you're saying that people from Logan don't like outsiders. Right. But a lot of people from Logan drive to Columbus for work. Right. Okay. Uh, Dale and Sarah purchased a beautiful 53-acre farm situated on an unpaved road just about 10 miles from downtown Logan. It was known to others in the community that Dale and Sarah occasionally embraced a clothing-optional lifestyle on their large, secluded property. Free balling. Dale was a country boy, and he loved being outdoors. So, so much so that when the four of them moved to the farm, he, his new wife, and two stepdaughters, they actually lived in tents for a while. Uh, This was to enjoy the land and to hold them over until their trailer arrived for the property. Once the trailer arrived, they packed up their tents and moved in. They built a barn and used it to house horses. And the horses could often be seen running and drinking from a stream running through the property. But there was a nasty rumor going around Logan, one that many wished not to discuss, but obviously they did. The rumor was that Dale Johnson was molesting his stepdaughter, Annette. And it was widely believed that Annette was now staying with her boyfriend and the Schultz family because the rumored accusation might just be true. Mm -hmm. Monday evening, October 14th, 19-year-old Todd Schultz and his 18-year-old girlfriend, Annette Cooper, left Todd's parents' house. They didn't tell anyone where they were going, which was a little out of character. But what was even more out of character... The two usually very reliable young adults did not return that night to Schultz's home. The next morning, Tuesday, October 5th, the two still had not returned, and Todd's mother, Sandra, had a bad feeling. A mother's intuition was telling her something bad had happened, and the feeling was getting worse and stronger as the morning dragged on. Stressed to her limit, she broke down, picked up the phone, and called Annette's mother, Sarah. She wanted to know if Annette and perhaps Todd had gone to Annette's house the night before or at the very least that morning. Did they check the tents? There, there were no tents at this time. Oh, you don't know that for sure. Annette's mother said no. She had not seen either of them, but she was not going to let Todd's mom off the hook. Mm-hmm. She wanted to know why Annette was living at the Schultz house. 
And Sandra responded abruptly and loudly because Dale can't keep his hands off of her. Mm. And that was pretty much the end of this conversation. Neither one of them happy and both worried about the young couple. Shortly after, the police and local authorities were notified, and soon, too, they would join in the search for Todd and Annette. Days passed, and there was still no sign of either of them. Now, no one had seen them, nor had either of them called home or showed up to work or school during this time either. Family members of the two found it incredibly strange and disconcerting. The couple very rarely went anywhere. Most of the time, they would just go out for a walk. So do you find it odd that Annette's parents don't even know why she's not staying there? Not necessarily. I, I mean, I, I do find it odd. but Staying not, at home is what I mean. Yeah. I do find it a little odd, but not 100%. I mean, thinking back when I was 18, I didn't, you know, sometimes I didn't come home for a couple of days. I think this is a situation where... She probably went over to her boyfriend's house. It sounds like they were very much in love and she stayed the night one night. It turned into a couple nights. And next thing you know, she's there for weeks or maybe even a month. And it sounds to me like her mother didn't want to rock the boat too much. And it wasn't until she believed that something was wrong, that her daughter was missing and her boyfriend was missing as well, that she was kind of pushed to her limit and decided, Hey, yeah, but it wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to stay over at your house because I like it here better than mine. There was a reason why they're letting her stay there. Yeah, and obviously Todd's parents, or at least his mother, seemed to believe that Annette's stepfather, Dale, was doing something wrong. I mean, that was that was the statement that was made to the newspapers. And this was a statement that Sarah... Annette's own mother made to the newspapers. She said, this is a conversation that me and Todd's mother had. Uh, Sandra was Todd's mother's name. And this is a conversation that we had. And this is how it went down. She told the papers that that Sandra said that Dale can't keep her hands, his hands off of Annette. Right. But what's not clear is, did she have a conversation with Annette about that? Or is this just stemming from the rumors in town that we don't know? You know I mean, like, well, she says she likes it better over here. We don't mind her staying here because of these rumors. Mm-hmm. Or did she have a conversation with Annette about this? Right. And I also wonder, too, like, if if Todd's parents really believed that something terrible was going on, that, that Annette had, was being molested or whatever, Right. it seems to me like they may have done more than just housed this 18-year-old woman. Uh-huh. That that maybe that charges maybe you would recommend hey maybe you should press some charges against this guy right I I don't know you know it was it it wasn't a million years ago but it was a different time back then especially when you're talking about a town like Logan sixty five hundred people right uh, but here's where things are going to get a little stranger Captain because on Saturday October 9th, this is just about four or five days after the the couple was last seen Dale Johnson. Annette's stepfather, he shows up uninvited and unannounced at the Schultz house. And he's asking a lot of questions. Is he wearing clothes? Uh, I believe so. Okay. Now, besides the expected questions of have you seen my stepdaughter type things, Dale demanded that the Schultz family turn over any of Annette's belongings to him, specifically asking for Annette's clothes. Sandra Schultz refused and said no. Now, when asked why he came to the house to collect Annette's clothing, 
Dale Johnson yelled at Sandra and said, it's because that's all her mom has to remember her by. Sandra was shocked by this statement and she would soon tell police that we, meaning the Schultz family, thought that the two teenagers were missing, but Dale was acting like they were dead. Right. And he's talking about them in the past tense. She wondered if she wasn't thinking they were dead. Why was, why was he thinking that they were dead? Right. So not only did the Schultz family think Dale Johnson and possibly his wife, Sarah, were acting extremely suspicious, but the police thought so too. Well, and that would be your motive for murder or could be a motive for murder. If everybody in the town is suspecting you of molesting your stepdaughter, then if you get rid of her, then you you can't have those charges brought against you. Well, in all fairness to the Johnson family, there was a lot of suspicious behavior going around. In fact, within days of the couple having gone missing, the local police department, they were receiving a lot of phone calls. Most of the callers were simply asking for a status update on the case. Things like, had the couple been located? And if not, did the police have any idea as to where they could be? Did the couple run off together or could they have been murdered? And if so, did the police have any suspects? So, in fairness to Dale Johnson, people in the town are calling the police and the sheriff's department, and they are asking if law enforcement thinks that the kids could be could have been murdered, and if so, by whom, if they had any suspects. So he and his wife are not the only two that are thinking something bad could have happened to these missing two. Now, some people called in to say that they saw a couple, or saw the couple, at different times on the evening of October 4th, the night that it is believed that the two vanished. The different callers had similar statements. These were potential eyewitnesses that saw the couple or at least two young adults matching the couple's description. And the couple were in a pre- in the presence of a man. Now, there's a couple different stories here, Captain. Some of these stories say that they were in the presence of Dale Johnson. Some of the other stories say they were in the presence of an unknown man, right. um, somebody that the, the eyewitness didn't know, obviously an extensive police search was well underway. Friends and teachers of the teens were interviewed several giving disturbing reports about Dale Johnston. Some of the interviewees said Dale Johnson was, a f- was full of jealousy and pos- possessiveness over Annette and referenced what they called Dale's hatred for Annette's male friends. Sarah Johnson also came under suspicion with several reports coming that can only be called mixed. While a lot of these reports are unclear as to the details, but state Sarah Johnston was seen with the teens Annette and Todd the night that they went missing. Police found the behavior of Dale and Sarah Johnston to be extremely odd. Most noteworthy, the mother's and the stepfather's behavior in the early interviews when police believed them both to not only be deceptive, but quite unemotional for parents of a missing child. Right. When providing police with items to assist in the search for the teens, Dale and Sarah surrendered nude photographs of Annette. This sent into motion a theory of what happened to the two missing teens. I mean, hold on a second. Let's just slow down a little bit. So the police are talking to the missing girl's mother and the missing girl's stepfather. Mm-hmm. And then they say, hey, do you have any items that would help us in the search? And they go, here's some nudie pics. Yeah, so I, I, do, I think I should clean this up a bit. 
because yeah, mo- I think you should. Most of the most of the reports about this case say just simply that that hey, they actually a lot of the reports state that Dale Johnston gave the police nude photographs of his stepdaughter. Right. I think what has happened this case is extremely interesting to me because there is a lot of local legend involved in this case. There's a lot of folklore. Um, and I think that what we have is it's like when you go fishing and you catch a decent sized fish and every time you tell another person about your fishing trip, that fish gets a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger. I I like to make it smaller because, (laughs) because by the 10th time you tell it it is about this big. Well, I forgot to tell you last time I went, I caught a 30 footer. Yeah. (laughs) It's, uh, it's hanging up on my wall now. Um, I think what has happened here, captain, I think that, and this is just my speculation. I think that the parents provided police and sheriffs with items to help find a net. And I think that they probably provided them with several photographs. And amongst those photographs, there may have been one or two photos of a net that maybe she wasn't fully dressed. I think over the years, the stories have blossomed into this Dale Johnson handed over nude photos of his stepdaughter. Well, and what's kind of sad about this case is she was a, she was a pretty girl. And so that's the main focus. You know, you even read so earlier is, you know, she was very pretty and everybody in town thought she was pretty. And then you talk about the boyfriend and it's like, well, he was really talented and he was smart. And it's like, because she was, you know, a beautiful girl, like by default, that's all people talk about now. So the the two are missing, right? And this sets into motion a theory of what happened to the two missing teens. Police used the photographs of Annette along with the circulating rumors that Annette's stepfather Dale had molested her and must have killed her and Todd Schultz in either a jealous rage or as a means of covering up the molestations. Police also theorized that Either Sarah, Annette's mother, assisted in one or all of the following, the disappearance, murder, and the concealment of their remains, or at the very least knew about it. Yeah. Logan police detective James Thompson is brought in and he begins a crusade against Dale Johnson, believing he is responsible for the teen's disappearance. Each interview with police reveals more details of what police refer to as a sexually dysfunctional Johnson household. Dale Johnson is desperately seeking supporters. So he contacts a friend of his who claims to be a psychic. This is Raymond Mills. Okay. Raymond using his quote unquote gifts believes Dale Johnson is the murderer. And he publicly <laughs> sides with police against Dale Johnson. Can you imagine that? <laughs> oh, <Wait, hold on. laughs> So, so, so Dale is, he's desperate for, he's he's desperate for somebody to support him. He's like, I'm being accused of all this stuff. Let me reach out to my buddy. He can see he's the all seeing eye. Mm -hmm. He's a psychic. And then the psychic comes back and says, well, my friend, what I see is that you killed him. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, this is, I have to, we have to really look at this for what it is, especially back then in this town. You know the old black and white Frankenstein movie where where Frankenstein's monster is in the village and the townspeople are gathering torches and pickaxes yeah. and there's like a mob of people that are going to chase him out of town or, or kill him? 
Right. Yeah. This this was a similar mentality to these missing teenagers in these rumors that Dale Johnson had molested his stepdaughter. The townspeople are all up in arms. They want Dale Johnson arrested immediately. The sheriff's department's coming after him. The detective is building a crusade against him. And within his own four walls of the trailer on his 53-acre property, he's he's complaining to his wife, everybody in town thinks that I molested and killed these kids. Yeah. And his, his wife is going, honey, I know you didn't do it, but you're the stepfather. They're going to come after you. Right. And you walk around in the nude and you, you take nudie pics of your stepdaughter. There's rumors happening. They're going to come after you. Well, what's also going on, Captain, is the police department, the sheriff's office, their telephones are ringing off of the hook with conflicting reports. Some stating that they had heard shots fired in the Riverbank cornfield area. And then listen to this. There were reported sightings of mysterious men who appear out of the mist in odd-shaped hats and that they, these things just appear out of nowhere like some time traveling hipsters there were dozens of weird things going on and we'll get right back to this after this quick beer break the evidence keeps pouring in At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. 
It's powered by advanced algorithms. iXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. iXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with iXL. iXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending iXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers. So we have two teenagers, a couple that are missing. Well, on Friday, October 14th, everyone's worst fears were realized. Two torsos were found floating in the Hocking River. Police later located a spot from where they believed the two torsos were placed in the river. Sheriff James Jones said a path led from that spot in the river to a makeshift burial ground. 
Following this path, this led to the discovery of six bloody holes in the cornfield. Buried just a few inches down were the limbs and two heads. The heads and limbs were actually located about two days after they found the torsos. Police theorized that the blood found near some of the holes indicated that the victims may have been slain and dismembered right there. And what's confusing about this report is it says buried at one point, then it says six bloody holes. So when I think six bloody holes, I'm thinking these holes were dug and then body parts were put into these holes, but they were never filled back in. I think they probably were. I mean, all reports state that these these limbs and heads were found buried just a few inches into the ground. Um, so I, I do believe that they were buried. I think that this is just a reporter making a description. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to keep in mind too, we're talking about, this is not right off the roadside. This is out in the middle of nowhere. Right. There's a very good chance that the, the description given by the newspaper reporter on October 14th or 15th, of 1981 never saw that that ground or that area before writing up the article. Now, as I was saying, police theorized that the blood found near some of the quote unquote holes indicated that the victims may have been slain and dismembered right there. Then the torsos later dragged to the river. Officials found no weapons or digging implements in the cornfield. The only clothing found was a pair of socks that authorities could not link to either victim. The bloody pieces facilitated positive identification of two nude human torsos removed from the Hocking River. Now, this means that the the limbs and the head matched that of the two torsos that they found. Right. And they recovered the bodies of 19-year-old Todd Schultz and 18-year-old Annette Cooper. Logan residents stunned by the gruesome deaths talked in small groups near the river uh, after the discovery. And one resident actually told a reporter that, quote, there's never been anything as grotesque as this. Yeah, what do you think that all means? I mean, you're going you're gonna to bury limbs, but that you're going to have the torsos going to the river. Do you think that's a symbol of something? I don't know. And I can only imagine what the rumors would be or what kind of stories... So people have to try to make sense of this, right? right. Th- this has never happened in the, in this area before. Um, and so th- th- that's why these small groups of people are meeting near this area. They want to see what's coming out of there, what police and what uh, people are pulling out of there. But they're, they're also going to theorize and come up with their own theories as to why do we find dismembered torsos in the river and then we found some parts buried elsewhere. Yeah, it almost seems like a symbol of something. From the killer's perspective, it could be. Um, I think it probably looks that way to the citizens of Logan. However, from the killer's perspective, to me, it looks more like just trying to conceal the the bodies themselves. I mean, we're talking 1982. Um, I don't know when the first murder conviction without a body being recovered occurred in this state or in the country. But at one point, if you didn't have a body, there was no, there was no murder. There was no murder trial. Right. But you'd have the limbs because they're burying the limbs. So if you found the limbs, well, yeah, but I mean, it's obviously trying to conceal all pieces and parts of these individuals. Now the Logan residents, they also said to 
the newspapers that the bodies were just too well hid. This is a quote. The bodies were just too well hid. It must be somebody local. I think that's very telling of where they found these torsos. An autopsy was performed on the torsos in Franklin County. The other body parts were sent to the coroner's office for examination. Hockey County Coroner Dr. Robert Rausch said that the two were shot to death and he was, quote, not at liberty to divulge further details about the shootings. Logan police said they are working the case. The Schultzes asked the police to release whatever information they can about the slayings, saying, quote, we feel people should know what really happened so parents can watch out for their children, right. said Mrs. Schultz. And we don't want somebody else to go through what we've had to go through. Um, a positive identification is made using dental records of both of these individuals with FBI ballistics expert claiming 22 caliber bullets killed the victims An alleged boot print is discovered in shallow water near the riverbank. And the County is on high alert with a mandatory 9 PM curfew on the day when the limbs were found, a police officer guarding and securing the location. He sees a man lurking in the corn stalks. This turns out to be Kenny Linscott. He's a local man, 22 years old, and he's nursing a badly cut arm. Now, this is not a fresh cut. Police questioned this man right there in the cornfield. Kenny Linscott lived nearby and was known to police as a small-time drug dealer. He is referred to as a local river rat, someone that is always fishing in the river and hunting in the nearby fields. Police, of course, want to know what he's doing in the cornfield near the crime scene, but he simply is out hunting and had seen all of the police in the area and wanted to know if they were looking for the missing teens there and if they found anything. Regarding Kenny's arm, he had cut it on a broken window and received medical attention at a hospital shortly afterward. After the heinous find of the body parts, news crews swarmed the religiously tight-knit community, and the story is broadcasted nationally, and the county is now on high alert. Searching the crime scene continues and additional interviews with the victim's parents are taking place. As said, they had used dental records to positively ID the bodies. After positive identifications are made, this sets Don Schultz, Todd's father, into a frenzy. He is convinced, as many others are in Logan, that Dale Johnston killed his son. So Don Schultz gets his rifle jumps in his truck and drives out to the Johnson property. Gonna go get my gun. That's right. There with gun in hand, he demands that Dale turn himself in and confess to the double homicide. Now let's go through this double murder investigation because most of the reports out there that still exist, they don't tell you what was going on as far as the investigation goes. Most reports don't tell you the true story of the investigation. Now, Captain, I don't want to go through everything in great detail because we would end up doing eight episodes on this case. But what I will tell you is this. Anyone that followed this case uh -huh. back in 1982 will agree with me. The investigation and the events that took place in Logan after they found the bodies, well, to be quite frank, it was a damn circus down there. So, yeah, well, when you have a victim's father going off to another victim's stepfather... And saying, turn yourself in, 
you know, by gunpoint, that's pretty, pretty nuts already. And despite the police already stating that they think the missing teens were killed in the cornfield where the body parts were found. Right. They also have another theory, one that the officers in charge believed very strongly. And that is Dale had shot and killed the teens at his farm, butchered them, bagged their bodies, threw their torsos in the river and buried the rest of the remains in the cornfield. And as the motive is Johnson had sexually molested his stepdaughter and was jealous about her impending marriage. So please have this theory, but is there a crime scene at the stepfather's house? Not that we're aware of. And it's, it's one of those weird situations where you have, you have investigators that are publicly stating two opposing theories. You know, they publicly state that, Hey, there's enough blood in the cornfield that we believe that these victims were killed here and dismembered right. here. But the working theory that we're, we're rolling with that we're investigating is Dale Johnson killed them at his farm, butchered them at his farm, bagged the bodies and brought them to this area. Right. Even though we don't have evidence of that yet. Correct. Well, under questioning Dale and his wife, Sarah and Sarah's other daughter, Michelle, they denied all of the accusations. And what I mean by that is they denied any knowledge about the disappearance, the murders, the dismembering, the burial, uh, and the molestation. Right. You know, so we have Dale, of course we're going to have Dale saying, yes, I didn't molest my stepdaughter, but we also have his wife and the stepdaughter's biological sister, real sister stating that stuff was not going on. I know it's rumored, but that was not happening here. And then there was Kevin Meyer. So detective Robert Snyder from Columbus, Ohio police department's organized crime squad. He becomes unofficially involved in the case, believing that Kevin Meyer is the killer. This is 26 year old Kevin Meyer, a strange individual by all reports I could find and a butcher by trade with mental problems is reported by his employers, Jill and Dan Frey. So the dude with mental problems has the job of handling the sharp knives. Yeah. So Jill and Dan Frey become involved with this investigation. When they report, they report that they believe that their employee was involved in this. And then we have a local woman who wished to stay anonymous and using the alias Jane Doe gives a detailed account of seeing the victims talking with a peculiar looking older man fitting the description of Kevin Meyer. This is on the evening when the two teens went missing. We do have to point out though, Captain Sheriff Jones, who is running the show down there, he is friends with Kevin Meyer and defends his friend publicly. Now, one of the more bizarre theories, demonologist Jeff Hilson becomes involved in the case by giving his theory to the media in which he stated that he believes that a group of drug-using Satanists butchered the young couple. Mm -hmm. FBI agent Herman Henry is brought in and gives a psychological profile of the killer. This profile does not steer them away from anyone already mentioned. Right. Sheriff Jones continues to publicly defend his friend Kevin Meyer and by now has become uncooperative with the FBI and Detective Snyder from Columbus. Do we know anything about this profile? Like what it entails? I do not. I did not could not find the details of it other than it stated 
just what what we had said. Right. All, all the persons named publicly or named to the media as potential suspects, whether they were suspects of the actual investigation or just by the people of Logan, it didn't rule any of them out. Right. We what we have here though, Captain, is we got Sheriff Jones, we have the FBI, we have Detective Snyder, we have several different agencies working this investigation. As said, Sheriff Jones is running the show, but plain and simple, what we have right now is we have three different agencies and all of them are not agreeing on a prime suspect. You know, Sheriff Jones thinks Dale Johnston did it. Agent Henry thinks Johnston is not the guy. And Detective Snyder believes that the sheriff's friend, Kevin Meyer is the killer. And Kevin's employers continue to report him to police, revealing more bizarre reasons why he is the killer. They haven't fired him yet. Yeah, it's a little strange that they would. I don't know that they are publicly stating that Kevin Meyer, that they believe him to be the killer. Right. Or if they're just calling the cops behind the scenes. Well, they've they've at least reported this to the Columbus PD, Mm -hmm. which now keep in mind is almost an hour's drive away. The reason how this comes about is that the 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 lady um, that is the employer of Kevin Meyer, I think her brother-in-law, she's somehow related to this detective that she says, hey, I think this weird guy that works for me, who also happens to be a butcher, is the killer. Well, and because she's not publicly stating this stuff, we don't know actually what this weird stuff this weird guy is doing. We have to really understand and focus on what's going on in this area at this time. This is a media circus down there. Okay. We have a town of only 6,500 people. And after the bodies are found chopped up, which there's really no nice way to put it, I apologize, but that's the case. Right. But then some could argue, well, Kevin has the means to chop them up. I mean, just based off of his job. Yeah. But what, what, where I'm going with this is that, it's a media circus down there. This is like the Casey Anthony, Scott Peterson situation where we have everybody looking for a killer and all this media comes to town and probably not as much media, but it's also a much smaller town than where Casey Anthony was from or, or Scott Pearson was from. But what you obviously have is everybody wanting to become involved in this case somehow. Mm-hmm. There's a giant spotlight on the small town of Logan, Ohio, and a lot of people want to push their way to the forefront and be in that spotlight. And so everyone somehow feels connected to the case and they feel like they have an opinion and something to say regarding the case well and there's definitely some suspicious stuff with the stepfather i mean talking about his stepdaughter in past tense that's a little odd uh so, you know the rumors around town we don't know if those are true or not but those are those are some damning rumors if you're molesting your stepdaughter well and i think that's exactly what you have here okay we've seen this the thing that is so interesting and intriguing about this real life case is that so many times on television and in movies, this situation is uh, imitated. And what I mean by that is, think about this. We have the local guy, the Sheriff Jones. He knows the area. He's the man in charge. Mm -hmm. He's been enforcing the law in Logan for a long time. I am the law. And of course, who does he think killed this couple? It's 
it, it involves local rumors. Mm-hmm. It involves a guy that lives there that was under his watch that he says, you know what? I've heard all the rumors about this guy. I believe them to be true. He's an outsider that came in here and he's not only an outsider by, by moving and transplanting into Logan. He's an outsider in the sense that guy walks around with his clothes off. Right. I don't get him. I don't understand him. He's a weird. O. so he is a suspect under the local sheriff's eyes. And then you have the FBI agent, F- agent Henry comes into town. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to get consumed by local rumor. Right, right. I'm 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 of a better class of law enforcement in the sense that I'm from the FBI. I'm the better law. Well, I'm going to come into the area and I'm going to use my experience to actually hone in on a real suspect. I'm not going to allow local rumor to point me in the direction. I'm going to use the facts and the evidence of the case. And really, we don't have a ton of evidence. I mean, we have possibly these socks that are left by the crime scene where they think the crime scene could have happened, the cornfield. And then we have this boot mm-hmm. or was a it a possible boot print? boot print? Okay. Yeah. So, it, I mean, that's pretty much all they got going for them right now. There's not a lot of evidence and there's a lot of speculation. And what I mean by that is not just by FBI or law enforcement. It's by the locals and the locals are not only telling the media about who they think did this, they're calling the police department and the sheriff's department. I mean, can you imagine the phone calls that they're getting? Right. We have a demon, a quote unquote demonologist that comes to the area and says, look, here's what actually happened. A, a group of drug induced Satanists killed and butchered these kids. Right. But there is no evidence other than possibly the mutilation that would lead this for anybody to believe that this is a satanic ritual or some type of thing. Maybe the, Six holes, six, 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 maybe that would be some sign. Well, I think that what we have here is really the mutilation to the bodies. The dismemberment is something that is so foreign to this area. You know, there are, unfortunately, there's a lot of murders out there. Maybe we should start a podcast. Most of the time, the person that kills the victim doesn't go to the length of, of, cutting them up into small pieces. Mm-hmm. And that is horrifying. That that is something that is does not sit well with with any of us. Right. We don't we most of us can't comprehend how somebody could dissect somebody like that. And so therefore I think that you try to make sense out of it. The community as a whole tries to make sense out of it and that's when you have people coming forward and saying, "Well, Listen to what the kids are listening to these days. It's got, you know, listen to the music that's out these days. All these kids are doing drugs these days. It's got to be a bunch of Satanist. It's the only thing that makes sense to some of the people in the community. And so where we have no evidence that there is any type of, uh, to use a term from the West Memphis three, uh, satanic trappings. Mm -hmm. What did they call that? The, um, uh, satanic droppings. <laughs> they called it something like that. The trappings of a ritualistic killing, the droppings or, or a a ri- sacrificial killing. But where we don't have any true evidence of that, you can have people coming out of the woodwork that are going, like you just said, was there six holes? Well, that must mean six, 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 right? Well, was the, was the hand separated from the forearm? Well, that must mean, that must mean something. And anytime you, uh, 
decapitate somebody, that means that's a satanic trapping. And where we have no real evidence of that, we also don't have any real evidence that Dale Johnston killed these kids other than rumors. Really, is the satanic crap anything more than a rumor? No. And as far as his his family states, as far as Dale Johnson's wife and other stepdaughter state, all of the rumors of him molesting the murdered victim, Annette, are nothing more than rumors. Just like the satanic panic going on is nothing more than a rumor. There's no evidence. There's nobody stating that they had witnessed that happen. And so the problem with this double homicide here, I don't know. I don't know that I would claim this to be that we have a bunch of Keystone cops that don't know what they're doing. I I don't think that's the situation here. Yes. Is murder a rarity there? Yes. Is the dismemberment of the bodies super rare? 100%. You have the townspeople saying we've never seen anything like this before. Never even heard of anything like this before. But at the same time, I think really what is happening here in this very moment is that they are getting so many people coming forward, stating so many different things from different ends of the spectrum of what could be a possible good lead to something that might just be crazy talk. They have people coming to the police department, the sheriff's department stating, I saw some guys that just seem to appear out of nowhere. Yeah. With weird hats. They're wearing funny hats. I think they were in the cornfield and they must've killed those kids. Cause I've never seen them before. And maybe they were demons. Maybe they were ghosts. I don't know, but that's the kind of calls that they're getting. Right. And where I think that this thing goes, goes off the rails a bit. And, and I say that and I laugh to myself because it's very obviously already off the rails. Right. And plus you find yourself hilarious. But I think that there was probably some truth in some of those earlier statements given to police and some of those earlier calls that were fed in as possible leads. Some of them were truthful and some of them were just wrong. And the problem I think we had here is who knows which lead to follow. When you receive a, a ton of them, some of them are completely crazy. Some of them are complete, maybe completely right. But on the surface, until you investigate, until you look at each one of those, you can't tell which is which. A lot more to get into tomorrow. If you haven't been checking out our show off the record, you need to. It's it's heating up. Like they say, it's heating up. It's getting hot it's in the huge garage. Hit. It's a huge hit. It's a big hit in Sweden. A big hit in China. So check that out at stitcherpremium.com backslash true crime garage. Use promo code garage. Garage. So check that out. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.